If you have your Bibles nearby, turn to Luke 4. Luke 4 is the setting for the message this morning. You're familiar with the passage, I believe. It's the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. It's in other Gospels as well. Luke 4 is the setting this morning. As you know the story, um, after Jesus' baptism, he's carried away into the wilderness by the Spirit, and he's tempted, tempted. I'm so glad the scriptures give us this story, right? Because you might think that Jesus like sort of waltzed through his life until he got to Calvary and he just had a a few three days of difficulty, but the rest of it was all a cakewalk. Apparently not. Apparently there was significant pain well before Calvary in his life. And here we have Jesus in the wilderness being tested and hungry and in pain. I've got to confess, I wish that the Bible were more complete. I mean, we just don't get all of the details we want. You know, inquiring minds like mine want to know. There are are these phrases, very short phrases in Scripture that cover enormous ground, and I want to know what is meant by them. I mean, it's clear that the Gospels are not written to satisfy our curiosity on every level. Rather, they are written to reliably point us to Jesus, to show us what life in the kingdom of God is like, and to make sure that we can enter the kingdom of God based on the gracious invitation of the King. In Luke 4, The beginning is this maddening little phrase that is driving me to distraction this week. Luke 4, this is just a little piece of it. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Did you catch that? I mean, I've read this passage a gazillion times. Some of those years I read the Matthew account or the Lucan account. If you read the the reference to it in Mark's gospel, this is all you get. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. That's all Mark gives you. Matthew and Luke take this law. Mark gives you this much. And I've considered, I've spent time ruminating on the, the temptations that Jesus faced, the ones that are revealed to us, okay? He has the temptation to turn stones into bread. Hasn't eaten in 40 days, he's hungry. To use the power of God in self-serving ways. He's subjected to the temptation to worship Satan or or to seek glory and power for himself or, or some other thing. He rejects that temptation. He's confronted with the temptation 
to test God. Throw yourself down and, and the scripture says that he's gonna do this. Make God prove himself to you. Test God, put God to the test. And um, Jesus says, my role is not to make the Father perform for me. I'm here to obey the Father. But what I'm concerned about are, what about those other 40 days? The three temptations we know about seem to happen at the end of those 40 days. But there were 40 days worth of temptations before these final ones come up. I mean, are these three temptations mentioned because they're the hardest to face? Or are they mentioned because they're the ones most like the ones that we face? I mean, if we're, if we're candid, more of our prayers are self-centered than any other thing. We do expect Jesus to heal all of our diseases and keep us from pain and suffering in the world. And, and when that doesn't happen, sometimes we get mad at God. We do from time to time set up ungodly goals and aspirations or hoard resources attempting to provide our own security. And I think all of that stuff is rooted in those first three temptations. But we can't be sure if those are the most important temptations or the most difficult temptations Jesus had to face because we just don't know what happened on the other 40 days. I wish the gospel writer would have told us. I wish he would have given us a list of all the temptations that Jesus faced so we could look at them and, and make sure that we protected ourselves from stumbling into any of these things that Jesus had to deal with during those 40 days. But we don't know because we don't know what happened in those 40 days. But there are some clues. Most Bible scholars think that the 40 days of Jesus are roughly parallel to the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness wandering. Israel, as you remember, wanders in the wilderness for 40 years because they will not trust God to lead them into the land he has promised to give them. Maybe what it takes Israel 40 years to figure out only takes Jesus 40 days to figure out. I don't know. Were the temptations the same for Israel that they were for Jesus? Were the temptations that keep Israel in the wilderness the same things that Jesus had to face? Will I trust God when I don't know where I'm going? Will I trust God when I don't know where my next meal is coming from? Will I trust God when I am afraid? Will I trust God when I am being threatened? Here's something, a part of this passage that I am absolutely certain is instructional for us. Luke tells us, Jesus entered the desert full, filled with the Holy Spirit. It's clear, it's right here in the text. I think the only way Jesus or anyone survives 40 day ordeals is because Jesus is 
full of the Holy Spirit. He needs the stamina, the wisdom, the resources of the Holy Spirit in order to withstand this onslaught. Have you said to yourself in recent days, after the next bad thing happened to you, no surprise, just one more thing of bad luck, as you feel the pressures mounting from all the different things that have happened to you in recent days. Have have you felt like you're living in some sort of desert yourself? The provision for Jesus' survival in the desert is the same provision that is available to you. Did you hear that? The exact same thing that Jesus needs in order to sustain the mission, to stay in touch with the Father, the same thing that Jesus needs and receives is exactly the same thing that is available to you. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. We also must be full of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? This is Acts 18, starting in verse 24. Now there came to Ephesus a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. He was an eloquent man, well-versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And when he wished to cross over to Achaia, the believers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. On his arrival, he greatly helped those who through grace had become believers, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Messiah is Jesus. Chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, into what then were you baptized? They answered, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. This is one passage among several that talks about what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we understand that from this passage especially, it's possible to be Christian without being baptized by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't the agent of our regeneration. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't the, the person of God who 
activates our salvation, right? When we trust in God, it's the Holy Spirit that brings us saving grace and saving faith. That's his role. But there's a difference between that initial salvation and being baptized by the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's clear from the passage, right? It's two different things. John's baptism, Jesus' baptism. Only Jesus can send the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus can send the Spirit to fill us with himself. And so it's, it's interesting to me that even though every Christian has the Holy Spirit resident, resident in them, not every Christian is filled with the Spirit. Jesus wants to flow from us by the presence of his Holy Spirit. Listen to what John 7, 37 says. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no spirit given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What Jesus has in mind for his believers is fullness, joy, superabundance. I ask you on Ash Wednesday that as we work our way through Lent to Easter, that for this whole season, we keep our eyes focused through Easter all the way to Pentecost. That we don't just finish the journey at Easter, as glorious as Easter is, because Jesus has a goal for us, and that is that we be filled with the Spirit. Here's why this matters. We have a grinding job in front of us. We have a 40 days in the desert kind of job in front of us. We've got to do the work of rebuilding the fellowship, of re-knitting relationships that have been damaged through neglect. Maybe not necessarily intentional neglect, but maybe COVID-inspired neglect or fear-inspired separation. We have been living in a war zone in the rubble of COVID, and we have to do the strenuous work of rebuilding, and we will not have the stamina for that without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit is working through us and we have surrendered ourselves completely to him and have been filled by him, we will not have the stamina for this task. You know, as much as I could say, just come forward, I'll lay my hands on you and you can receive the Holy Spirit, it just doesn't work that way. None of us can demand that Jesus fill us with his Holy Spirit. What we can do is prepare the soil of our lives and invite and request the Spirit to be given to us in fullness. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to withstand the devices of our enemy and to li live victoriously in the face of temptation. 
without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without the positive overflow of the presence of God in our lives, we end up isolated, fearful or angry, frustrated, all the while feeling self-righteous about our superior opinions. I mean, as you know, COVID started this isolation process. It gave us a reason to step away from our commitments for a time. It created more leisure time for some, more frustration and friction for others, a lot of alone time. And into that void, our tempter spoke. He agitated. He reminded us of petty grievances and fanned them into flame. He inflamed our opinions, keeping us focused on things that divide us rather than the common purposes we have in Christ. And all over the landscape now are folks who are feeling good about staying isolated, who our tempter has successfully marginalized from participation in the work of God. But the Spirit of the Lord brings forgiveness, mercy, and grace. The Spirit of the Lord is the thing that unifies us in spite of our differences. The Spirit, is the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is the one who sends us on mission. And anything, any opinion, any grievance, any frustration that keeps us from fulfilling God's plan for us, well, any of that stuff is simply giving in to the tempter who wants us to stay off the field and out of the game. I guess I would ask this. Do you desire to live victoriously in the face of temptation? I've said this before. I mean, the major strategy for dealing with temptation in our society is give in to it and it will go away. That is not a recipe for victorious living in the faith. When you give in to temptation that you know is from the enemy, you begin this spiraling process where you become more and more distant from the Holy Spirit, more and more callous so you aren't sensitive to his voice. It becomes increasingly difficult to hear what the Spirit is saying. And before you know it, you are sidelined out of the game and useless to God. I'm not saying you're not loved by God. You're just useless to God because the level of compromise in your life has reached a level where you can no longer reflect the glory of God and that is why we're here. If you can't reflect the glory of God, well, what does he say in Matthew? You're a lot like salt that's not salty anymore. That's mostly just good for mulch where you don't want grass to grow. If we want to live victoriously in the face of temptation, then we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that comes by tending the soil of our lives, to surrendering ourselves to him and asking him to fill us so that we can live in complete obedience to him moment by moment, day by day. I was on a prayer retreat week before last at a place where they had a significant recovery ministry. I spoke to the leader of the recovery ministry, Father Tom. He was talking about the success rates of various recovery programs. 
And he said to me, you know, there is no successful recovery program without a robust prayer life. I had no trouble agreeing with him. It's when we seek God that things happen. There is no victorious Christian living, especially in the face of temptation, without a robust prayer life. And you might say to me, well, I'm not tempted all that much. Well, if you're not tempted all that much, that means to me that the tempter has no reason to bother tempting you. That you've already lived in compromise long enough that he has you, and there's no reason to spend any time worrying about you anymore. But it's when you get serious about living for God, when you get serious about being in obedience to all the Spirit calls to you, when you get, spirit, it's, when you get serious about reflecting the glory of God in all of your relationships, then you will have temptation. You will face trials. Because the enemy doesn't want that to happen, right? And when you undergo trials and temptations and frustrations, you will survive by the superabundant, the overflow of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you must tend that. You must ask for that. Unless we give the Spirit opportunity to correct us, to speak into our hearts, we will continue to rationalize whatever it is we're doing, regardless of how far outside of God's will it is for our lives. I mean, we can rationalize ourselves. We can make anything make perfect sense if we want to. Jesus answers the tempter's questions emphatically and also for us. The power of God is not given to satisfy ourselves. Followers of Jesus obey God rather than attempting to get God to obey them. Children of God worship only him, and certainly not human-made goals or idols we have created with our own hands. I wonder, if you thought about those 40 days and the other temptations that Jesus may have faced, Based on your experience with temptation, what do you think he might have faced? I mean, what, what temptations are you actively rejecting or resisting by the power of the Spirit in your life? Do you know yourself that way, that well? Are you, are you intuitive to the level where you can say, well, I, I know what my temptations are and I'm asking the Spirit to help me because I want to serve God and I need the power of the Spirit to do that. And so, so I am in prayer and meditation to discern how God is attempting to transform me. Or am I just clueless about that and just assume that everything I'm doing is perfectly right? And I'm thinking that's a dangerous place of self-confidence. I would rather be confident in what the Spirit is doing in me then confident in what I have rationalized is fine. How are you doing in your fight against the attacks of the enemy? Who's, who's winning this war? Is it the Spirit of God continuing to fill you? 
or you walk in another way. The only chance we have of being filled with God's Spirit, to being baptized by the Spirit, is to confess our need of Him and our dependence on Him. If we will not give up our self-reliance and state our trust in Him, we don't survive the 40 days. We compromise. And so this is the season where we repent and we say, sorry, God, I need to do over on this. I've been following too much the devices and desires of my own heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I have not loved you, Lord, the way you deserve to be loved. Cleanse me. Renew me. Don't stop there. Fill me with your spirit that I can not only resist the power of the tempter, but I can reflect the glory of God and that out of me will flow rivers of abundant joy to bless those who are around me. That's the prayer life I'm inviting you into today. Forgive me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. I will obey you by your help, with your help, with your assistance. Fill me so it's possible. And please do it sooner rather than later. Let's pray together and then we'll sing a song. Gracious God, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Nor are we in despair, because we know that in you, all that we need for life and service can be found. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit would come and convict us, Reprove us, forgive us, and Lord, fill us. Baptize us anew with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, send your Spirit, we pray, that we can be your people in this day. We need to be filled again by your Holy Spirit. We need you, Lord, to enable us to withstand the temptations of our day. We need you, Holy Spirit, to resist the temptation to despair. To embrace your desire that we glorify you. To stand above the evil that so saturates our society. Lord, we need you. We confess it freely. Captivate us. Reprove us. Fill us anew with your spirit. That we might shine with the reflected glory of your son. This we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
And now may you be filled with the Spirit so that you may achieve your purpose in the kingdom of God to his glory now and forever. Amen.